This is Ozarks at Large. Here we are in November. This is the Monday, November 1st, 2021 edition of our show. I'm Kyle Kellums. On our show this Monday, the day Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport formally opened. Understand today, if you can't fly, you can't compete. But if you can fly, you can soar to new heights. Today, in a sentence, at long last, Northwest Arkansas can fly. President Clinton was back home to dedicate XNA as other news broke around the country. Randy Dixon with the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History brings us sound from that day in our second half hour. And just ahead, what October numbers tell us about COVID-19 in Arkansas. We talk with reporters from ArkansasCOVID.com. Elected officials in charge of redrawing Arkansas House and Senate districts are proposing two new maps. The State Board of Apportionment, which is made up of the Governor, Attorney General, and Secretary of State, gave initial approval Friday to the two district maps during a meeting. Governor Asa Hutchinson says a key goal was to protect the influence of districts whose minority populations are now in the majority. On the House side, we'll go from 11 majority-minority districts to 13. And as part of this, we'll have the first in history um, majority Latino district in Northwest Arkansas. And so uh, all of that combined would give us 13 majority minority districts. The Senate map would remain at four. Governor Hutchinson says the new maps essentially divide the state equally into 35 Senate districts and 100 House districts. Redistricting coordinator and former state Supreme Court Chief Justice Betty Dickey says the board almost succeeded in preventing any sitting incumbent lawmakers from having to run against each other. Later this hour, John Brummett, political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Roby Brock with our partner Talk Business and Politics will discuss the new maps. SWEPCO is awarding a $100,000 grant to the Rogers Development Foundation to promote academic success among Latino students in Rogers High Schools. The grant will support the Leadership, Education, Advancement, and Development Project, also known as the LEAD Project, which provides opportunities for academic success and is designed to help prepare young people for success in pursuit of higher education or entering the job market. Walton Arts Center will put single tickets for next year's run of Hamilton on sale later this month. The venue announced tickets ranging in price from $99 to $199 with a few select premium tickets for $299 go on sale November 18th at 10 a.m. There is a maximum purchase limit of eight tickets per account for the engagement. Hamilton producer Jeffrey Sellers released a statement in conjunction with Walton Arts Center warning buyers of overpriced, potentially fraudulent tickets offered by third-party outlets not affiliated with the production or Walton Arts Center. Hamilton will be on stage at Walton Arts Center March 22nd through April 3rd. Both Arkansas cross-country teams are again SEC champions. The sixth-ranked men's team ran to its 27th SEC title Friday, and the 15th-ranked women won their ninth straight SEC championship and 22nd overall. It is the 19th time the Razorback women and men have won league titles in the same year. And congratulations to Paris and Fayetteville, both teams celebrating volleyball state championships. Paris swept two-time defending champs Hackett to claim the 3A title Saturday morning. Fayetteville swept Springdale Harbor to win the Class 6A championship Saturday night. This is Ozarks at Large. We've been here before recently, slowing numbers of new cases of COVID-19 in daily testing reports, reduced hospitalizations, and a reduction of active cases as well. But we know what happened last time, the summer Delta surge. We thought we'd check in again with journalists working with ArkansasCOVID.com. Mary Hannigan is assistant editor of ArkansasCOVID.com, and Rachel Sanchez-Smith is a reporter and translator for ArkansasCOVID.com. We spoke with them via Zoom Friday. Rachel Sanchez-Smith says numbers recorded by the Arkansas Department of Health in October did show a slowing spread and other numbers dropped, mostly. Yeah, to really paint the picture for 
Arkansas and how it's been in October, there's been a sharp decline in cases, like you've mentioned, with over 1,500 cases this month compared to the over you know, 43,000 cases in September. Um, all of this is according to Arkansas Department of Health data. And similarly, Arkansas reported over 517 new daily cases as of um, October 28th, you know, compared to the 1,400 new daily cases or average of um, in September. And like you mentioned, while cases, while cases have declined, deaths tell another story for Arkansas. Yeah, and so the Department of Health reported a pretty grim milestone in October, and that is that we surpassed 8,000 deaths. And this was accelerated by the October 10th data cleaning that added nearly 300 deaths to the state count. This count included out-of-state deaths during the entire pandemic, so since March of 2020. The total state death count was 8,344 on October 28th. And in our preliminary data calculations, the virus caused 634 deaths in Arkansas during October. This was more than 100 less than September, but October was still the fifth deadliest month of the pandemic. And combined with the continued decline of cases, this continues to show how COVID-19 is a deadly illness. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I've said this the previous two conversations we've had. I mean... We're still seeing, you know, every day, newly accounted deaths, 15, 18, 19. It is, in fact, still a, a major, major cause of death in the state. Absolutely. And coupled with, you know, slowing vaccine acceptance, even, you know, Governor Asa Hutchinson noted during the middle of the month that vaccines were having a very slow incremental increase and a growing number of majority of the vaccines administered have been the booster shot, which is all, you know, added to. And kind of regarding the booster shot, the CDC did update their guidelines um, for that and said that anybody who received the Pfizer Moderna vaccine um, at least six months ago are eligible for a booster shot if they're, you know, as long as they meet state criteria, such as they're 65 and older, if they're high risk for COVID because of living, health problems, jobs, um, that kind of thing. And if you've been vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson, um, you're clear to get the booster if you've gotten vaccinated at least two months ago. And you're allowed, as they said, to mix and match vaccine doses with the booster. Um, and studies have shown that the two second dose vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, have the higher level of effectiveness. Right. And, and so it's getting a little bit more difficult just on the surface to tell how many people, when you get those daily vaccination reports, how many people are getting the first shot, second or booster. It's just kind of hard to know. I do know that we're watching those numbers of fully vaccinated Arkansans just go up very slowly. Yes. And we are consistently ranking among the bottom of um, nationwide. Arkansas is ranking among the, the bottom like 10 or so. Um, for fully vaccinated population. Another full month of school in Arkansas. Do we have any better idea of how COVID-19 and schools are related this fall? Yeah, so COVID-19 protocols in Arkansas public schools continued to be a topic of discussion in October. And some changes were made about mid-month to the definition of close contact in school settings. During the October 19th press conference, Governor Hutchinson announced the definition would change from six feet for 15 minutes to three feet for 15 minutes. This change was made in hopes to minimize the number of students out of the classroom in quarantine, which is something that has been concerning to officials as a loss of education. And this was only a change in public schools, not in childcare settings or higher education. And the governor and the Secretary of Health, Jose Romero, expressed that if cases increased because of these changes, the stricter protocols would return. But since these changes, COVID-19 cases have fallen below 1,000 in all of the public schools for the first time since the school year started. The October 28th data reported 950 cases in public schools, 62 cases in private schools, and 94 cases in colleges and universities. Another change in school settings was the existing test to stay protocol, which allowed students to avoid quarantine through vaccination, mask wearing and testing. This will now apply to extracurricular activities for the partic participation in band and sports. 
Um, during that same press conference, Dr. Jose Romero said he expects to see vaccines for children aged 5 to 11 at the beginning of November. So that's coming up very quickly. Um, he also mentioned that the vaccination rate in children 12 to 18 has stalled. Um, so just like vaccines across the state, he was also saying that that trend exists within the 12 to 18 ages. Yeah, and adding on to what Mary said, the biggest cha percent change we've seen for cases across all demographics and or across all ages has been children 17 and under. Although the increase has slowed significantly since the summer, it is still um, among the highest across all ages. I also know at Arkansas COVID, you've you know kept track of how medical professionals and medical institutions have been uh, dealing with the pandemic. Anything new on that front from October? Absolutely. So like talking on hospitalizations, COVID hospitalizations have stayed in the 300 to 400 range, which is, of course, low to the August peak of nearly 1500 cases. But these figures are still higher than the like 100 to 200 hospitalization, daily hospitalizations that we were seeing in, you know, the, the low in May and um, that that trough. But ventilator numbers have also remained higher at the late January, February levels with over 100 COVID-19 patients on vents. Again, still lower than what we were seeing in August, but not exactly where we ideally should be. Um, and deaths and hospitalizations continue to impact Arkansas in a multitude of ways. Of course, patients and families are you know, severely impacted by um, their loved ones, but also it's including taxing our already burnt out healthcare system and workers. Earlier this month, I reported over nurses in Arkansas and what reality has been like them, like for them for the past 18 months. And one nurse, um, Sarah Beth Coe, she's in intensive care um, nurse at St. Bernard's Medical Center. And she said, at this point, it's hard to get hopeful because we've seen those decreases before and they've spiked right back up. And of course, nurses have always dealt with patients' deaths and worsening health statuses. But I mean, the nurses that I've spoken to have said, you know, we get more of these roller coaster patients that we come in at the beginning of our shift and they're fine. And by the end, I mean, they're completely unstable. So it's really tough on these nurses and hospital staff who go who grow really attached to these patients and their families um, to see, you know, them fluctuating so, so gravely. And in addition, one nurse that I spoke to at Arkansas Children's Hospital, as far as uh, children said that pediatric hospitals are dealing on top of COVID are also dealing with normal childhood viruses like the flu or RSV, which oftentimes leads to difficult combinations of two or three of those and could, you know, RSV, COVID-19 and pneumonia, um, which makes it really, really difficult on, on those patients and has left them feeling like this pandemic is unpredictable and that's what it is like. Um, so it leaves them cautious about gaining hope for the pandemic's end. Right. And you both write and report for Arkansas COVID, not Arkansas influenza. But uh, Dr. Jose Romero, late in October, was uh, using the term possible, what do you say, twindemics? I think that was the term he was using. And both he and the governor during one of those, at the beginning of one of those press briefings, got their flu shots. Um, and... I hate, I don't want to be an ominous, but there was an, uh, I don't want to be a pessimist, but there was an ominous note from the governor saying that the off-season flu numbers in spring and summer were higher than usual. And that could be uh, a predecessor to higher influenza numbers as we move into the winter months. Absolutely. So, I mean, city and health officials are really stressing the the importance of the public to get their flu vaccines to avoid a combination of flu and um, the pandemic that we're already dealing with. And that's what, that's what it's been like. Yeah, something that was important in the October 19th press conference was that the talk of winter illnesses is coming back into play and in school settings, children tend to tend to spread their illnesses pretty easily. And so it was stressed that if your child is just not feeling well, just keep them home. And it might not be COVID-19, but whatever it is, it's better to be safe than sorry. All right. Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Mary Hennigan, thank you both very much.
we'll do this again at the end of November? Yes, absolutely. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. Mary Hannigan is assistant editor of ArkansasCOVID.com. Rachel Sanchez-Smith is a reporter and translator for ArkansasCOVID.com. You can find out more at ArkansasCOVID.com. They both spoke with us via Zoom on Friday. Arkansas COVID is part of the University of Arkansas School of Journalism and Strategic Media. This is Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is giving away tickets to the 74th Annual Eureka Springs Folk Festival, November 11th through the 14th. Performers include Gangsta Grass and The Creek Rocks, Todd Snyder, Arkansas, Sam Baker, and more. The winner will be announced Friday, November 5th, during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Registration and details available at KUAF.com. A biomedical research engineering professor at the University of Arkansas will apply a four-year, $1.6 million grant from the National Institutes of Health to develop non-invasive, real-time optical biopsies of chronic skin wounds. The goal of engineering professor Kyle Quinn and his team will be to provide an alternative to invasive biopsy, tissue processing, and staining for gathering information. The study will be directed toward helping people with chronic skin injuries that fail to progress through normal healing. And the NIH is also directing nearly $14 million to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences to further test a new drug discovered at UAMS that could be used to counter the effects of methamphetamine. The new grant will help fund a phase two clinical trial as the only potential treatment of its kind for methamphetamine use disorder. This latest study will be led by a UAMS startup and is funded with $13.8 million from the National Institutes of Health. I'm Michelle Martin. When we reach certain milestones, we often want to reevaluate a few things, maybe try something different, like, I don't know, a new look maybe skydiving. But here at NPR, 50 years in, we've been taking stock and feeling pretty good, a little wiser and ready to take on another 50. New hobbies and haircuts come and go, but NPR is here for you for the long haul. And while we haven't been bringing you NPR news for those entire 50 years at KUAF, it's been more than 36 years and we continue to thrive and bring you NPR news and all the great programs with your support. Thank you to everybody who supports us. You can learn more about the ongoing partnership between KUAF and listeners at supportkuaf.com. And you can always listen to us by using the free KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large. River Valley Relief, a new medical marijuana cultivation and manufacturing facility in Fort Smith, will soon be delivering packaged products to licensed dispensaries across the state, including those in Northwest Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich was given a tour of the family-owned and woman-operated plant, and she brings us this story. River Valley Relief, located in a sprawling warehouse district in South Fort Smith, is the newest medical marijuana cultivation facility licensed in Arkansas to start manufacturing. William Walton, head of cultivation, opens the first of several locked climate-controlled growing chambers. This is our mother and clone room. In here we have over uh, 150 mothers um, that we use to propagate all new plants from. Under subdued grow lights, various proprietary medicinal strains of cannabis mother plants and starts grow in racks, hydroponically in pots filled with nutrient-rich medium. Mother plants are held in what we call a vegetative state which means that we keep them from flowering and they just continue to grow new stem and leaf material um, so that we can continue to cut on them. Cannabis techs wearing black cotton uniforms and gloves roam the aisles trimming and grooming plants. All production, as well as the entire facility, is under 24-hour camera surveillance required by state law. Walton leads us to another grow room. So we grow the plant out in here first, um, and then when it's ready to push on to flower, it'll get moved out and populate one of the flowers. The flowers, not your typical blooms covered in crystalline, twisty, hairy trichomes, yield potent THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, 
the psychoactive constituent, as well as other medically beneficial cannabinoids, legally dispensed in Arkansas to treat 18 qualifying conditions, such as cancer, chronic pain, and epilepsy. The next room is filled with the brightest grow lights and packed floor-to-ceiling with racks of blooming cannabis strains in various stages of maturity. This is our first crop. And yeah, as you can see, these plants are in flower. <laughs> Walton says climate control as well as biological fungicides and pesticides keep diseases at bay here. River Valley Relief's inaugural cannabis crop will soon be ready to harvest. And then these two rooms here in the corner will be where all of our harvested plants will be staged to dry. Beyond the break room and locker room, where all cultivation staff are required to shower and don clean uniforms and clean crocs before work, is a conference room where we meet owner Storm Nolan. He and his brother Kane founded the company in honor of their mom, who lost her life to prescription opiates. We understood that medical cannabis can be a, a better, safer alternative to, to opiates. You know, the, obviously, opiate addiction is a problem in Arkansas. With the majority of states legalizing medicinal marijuana, more patients are relying on medical marijuana for pain control, but remains a Schedule One drug under the Federal Controlled Substances Act, which is why it's intensely regulated in Arkansas, a conservative state. It's the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Commission that, that did the license approval. Back in 2018, they issued licenses to the, to the first five the first five out of eight. Bold Team LLC in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, was the first to supply medical marijuana to dispensaries, which now number 37 across the state. Natural State Medicinals in Whitehall, Natural State Wellness and Delta Medical Cannabis in Newport, and Osage Creek Cultivation in Berryville are also manufacturing, but Storm Nolan says River Valley Relief is different. Christy Floyd is our head of operations, and so we're, we're the only cultivator in the state that is woman-run, and we're, we're very proud of that. I'm the director of operations, so that, that means um, I'm in charge of making sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing and that we're doing everything that we've promised the patients we'll do. Floyd is applying strict operating procedures among the 18 staff and is also in charge of hiring. We have a wonderful link on our website that says join the team, and that's where all of our applications have come from. They've, they've sort of found us. Startup construction and control of cannabis cultivation facilities is strictly regulated and enforced in Arkansas. And security is a priority, says Storm Nolan. Things in particular they're looking for are uh, every room is monitored. Basically, anywhere a person could go in this facility is caught on camera. So that's number one. Number two, they're looking for a secure perimeter. They're looking for a vault that houses product that is eight inch thick concrete with, uh, with a lot of rebar. Um, and so there, the state inspection basically was, was then making sure that we complied with all those, those rules and regulations. The building permit was issued in January after construction and security plans were submitted to state regulators for approval. Cultivation started up soon after. Very proud of that time frame. Um, it, it took a lot of work uh, to, to get that done in that short amount of time, but, but we did it and we're, we're grateful to be here. Along with licensure from the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Commission, Arkansas cultivation facilities must comply with two other regulatory agencies alcoholic beverage control for enforcement, and the Arkansas Department of Health for the patient side of things. So the, the ABC inspects us uh, every six months. So they do our initial inspection, which we, we went through, and then a biannual inspection. A new state law passed this year by the Arkansas legislature allows media and the public to enter cultivation sites by invitation of owners without medical marijuana cards. Such cards are obtained by patients at certain cost after being approved by a medical authority. Cultivation facilities like this one must prove sufficient funding is banked to start up and operate. Um, it was a lot. <laughs> Um, and the, the, the public record part of it would be the, the building permit amount, but it, it, it was so much more than that. Yeah, a lot of uh, consultants from other states, uh, a lot of design and engineering, legal, you know, all, all of that. And so it, it was significant. 
and Arkansas cultivators and certain dispensaries licensed to grow marijuana on their premises may outsource raw plant material to a licensed processor, four of which are authorized in the state. After mature marijuana flowers are harvested, dried, and vacuum packaged for retail sale to be smoked or vaped, Ryan Canega, director of processing for River Valley Relief, will use the rest of the plant to make more medicinals. Yeah, so we'll take uh, uh, the leftover plant material and some fresh frozen plant material, and we will process it into a uh, full cannabinoid-rich uh, oil to use in many other um, edibles uh, and products that the patients are demanding. Unmarked transport vans with teams of drivers will deliver River Valley Relief products to dispensaries that choose to purchase it. And according to Scott Harden, Communications Director with the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration, dispensaries have the option to purchase product from any licensed cultivator. Nolan says, by law, package labeling must indicate THC and CBD content, but their product labeling will be uniquely transparent. So you, you notice that a lot of the products aren't labeled, a lot of the flowers not labeled indica or sativa. Um, so that is, that is one thing we're planning on making very clear to, to patients who buy our product, is if it is indica, sativa, or, or hybrid, those are kind of the main categories that, that people look for. Although not yet scientifically verified, advocates say the effect most associated with indica is sedation. Sativa strains tend to energize. Cannabis contains hundreds of chemical compounds, cannabinoids, that work synergistically with the human endocannabinoid system. The two main compounds are THC, which causes euphoria, which can ease pain, anxiety, depression, insomnia, and nausea in cancer patients, and CBD, cannabidiol, a non-intoxicating compound, also found in medicinal hemp, widely used to alleviate pain and inflammation. Ryan Kanega says cannabis plants also secrete terpenes. The terpenes in tandem working together with the cannabinoids is what uh, provides that full entourage effect. Terpenes, aromatic compounds, are commonly found in tea, thyme, sage, citrus fruits, and cannabis. Depending on the strain, cannabis terpenes range from skunky to piney. An abundance of plant research science indicates terpenes may elicit anti-cancer, antimicrobial, antifungal, antiviral, analgesic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-parasitic responses. Christy Floyd says their product labeling will help consumers to navigate best remedies, including terpene content, for their condition. And we'll have identifiers on the jar that would allow them to scan a QR code and go straight to the website and explain to them maybe what they're looking for, since we don't actually have the opportunity to speak to the patients ourselves. Licensed dispensaries in Arkansas employ bud tenders, or cannabis sales associates, who help Arkansas medical marijuana patients to understand ranges of products and consumption methods, but nothing more beyond that, which is why, Storm Nolan says, River Valley Relief's mission and staff will be responsive to patient queries, including making River Valley Relief products affordable. Medical cannabis is not covered by any insurance. This is all out of pocket. And so that's why we're we're going to introduce our RVR CARES program to patients. And so people, this is part of our compassionate care program that was approved by the state. And people will sign up for a program and based on their financial need and, and the kind of condition, their medical condition they're going through, they'll be able to receive reduced price cannabis. River Valley Relief medicinal cannabis products will be available for purchase at local dispensaries in early 2022. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Any story you think somebody you know should hear that you first hear on Ozarks at Large is shareable. Just go to ozarksatlarge.com. You can find the story in our daily rundowns. And then there are links associated with that, links that are shareable through email and social media. The Razorback men's basketball exhibition season is over after this weekend's win over North Texas 68-60. The official season will begin a week from tomorrow night against Mercer in Bud Walton Arena. Soccer seasons continue tomorrow in conference tournaments for the University of Arkansas Razorbacks and the men's team at the University of the Ozarks. The Razorbacks are the number one seed in the SEC tournament. They're the regular season SEC champs. They'll play in the quarterfinals tomorrow evening at 5. The U of O men 
are at Hardin-Simmons in the quarterfinals tomorrow night. That's in the ASC tournament. And by the way, the John Brown University soccer teams will open play in the Sooner Athletic Conference tournament later this week. Walton Arts Center presents a conversation with Hassan Minhaj with guest moderator Hina Patel, Monday, November 8th at 7 p.m. This host of Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj explores the modern cultural and political landscape through the unique comedic voice of a first-generation American. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. Friday, the Arkansas Board of Apportionment released new legislative district maps based on the 2020 census. The board, Governor Asa Hutchinson, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, and Secretary of State John Thurston, had to adjust the districts for state Senate and House as the Arkansas population continues to shift to the Northwest over the last 10 years. John Brummett, a political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, spoke with Roby Brock from our partner Talk Business and Politics Friday afternoon, just after the maps had been released. Roby asked John Brummett for the instant takeaways. Well, in terms of uh, greater social significance, the headline, which everyone was proud to announce, the governor and the secretary of state and the attorney general, is that uh, the previous uh, legislative districting had 11 majority minority districts. This takes us to 13. It's very important to make that point since there are racial implications in the congressional redistricting, uh, we're actually going to more majority-minority districts. One of the new additions is a majority uh, Latino district. I just came to the meeting. I'm assuming that's in the Springdale area. Shouldn't Probably shouldn't speculate, but wherever it is, there's a majority uh, 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 Latino district. So everyone was proud to say that. Secondly, the apportionment board's uh, director, former Supreme Court Justice Betty Dickey, plainly said in her explanation that among the things that the board of apportionment took into account was uh, protecting, uh, uh, to the extent possible, uh, incumbents, which is one objection that many people have to relate to politicians drawing their own districts. I uh, confronted her on that afterward in a friendly fashion, and she pointed to a document from the National Conference of State Legislatures that says that should be a consideration. That's not a legal body. That's not a legal precedent. It's legislative groups advocating for their own self-preservation. But it's based, she said, uh, on the on the greater, fairly ex- greater accepted principle that districts uh, should re- reflect common interest. So. Those are the two stories, the gains in majority-minority districts, the Latino district, and the fact that, get this, with all these great population shifts, tremendous, or or significant exodus from South and East Arkansas and tremendous growth in Northwest Arkansas, these people, Hutchinson, Moore, Thurston, and uh, uh, Rutledge, I think, managed to redraw districts in which only three House members get put together and they're all in one district, and no Senate, uh, no Senate incumbent senators get put together. That's like a, that's like a magic trick, and they plainly say they plainly say that was one of our main considerations. And this lends itself to commentary about whether we ought to have an independent commission uh, to to take this over, so that uh, districts could be drawn without regard for protecting who's in office. But as Betty Dickey said, that's a principle they openly. Uh, applied. So that's 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 sort of what happened there. Let's talk about the three House members drawn into the same district. What what kind of the circumstances for that? Is it's two Republicans, one Democrat, right? I was told it in the corridor, and it was confirmed in the maps and confirmed uh, and uh, proudly as that this is the only place when three are put together. Two Republicans. All I'm telling you is this, and I don't have the names on this, and these will all come out in time, and you, you might. Uh, two Republicans. One Democrat, extreme southeastern Arkansas, and it is a majority-minority district. So they're not splitting uh, anything. They're just they're just put. Looks like they made a deliberate decision. Let's go down there and put these three together, in uh, in a way that we can keep everybody else uh, apart. Which is uh, unfortunate for those three. But uh, that seems to be what happened. Talk about Northwest Arkansas, where there has been the you know incredible growth that we've seen in the population up there. New districts abound. Um, we could potentially have, with Lance Eads' resignation from the state senate, 
Um, the fact that there's a new Senate district, Jim Hendren, an independent, will likely get a Republican challenger. And I think S Senator Cecile Bledsoe has said she's not running for re-election. There could be as many as four different new faces in the state Senate uh, as a result of where those maps are and what's happening politically up there. That'd be a huge change. Yeah, it would be. And that's that's not caused by uh, anything the Board of Apportionment is doing other than the fact that they had to they had to uh, create more districts up there. Uh, I don't have the numbers, but uh, more, more Senate districts and several more House districts to reflect the population changes. So there are new opportunities. But as you point out, there's the uh, that's that's compounded by the Eads vacancy. One of these is, uh, as I just said earlier, major a new majority Latino district that might have a new dynamic uh, and Hendren, of course being a public enemy number three or four of Republicans because of his party switch in a Republican area. Yeah, I mean, Northwest Arkansas, once again, is where everything's going to be happening uh, politically uh, in a couple of years, I would think. John Brummett, political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, spoke with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. You can read John Brummett's columns at ArkansasOnline.com, and you can follow state news at talkbusiness.net. Their conversation was recorded Friday afternoon just after the new legislative maps had been revealed. And the Latino Majority Minority District John Brummett referred to early in that conversation is indeed, as he thought, centered in Springdale. You better be good to me. I'm Robin Young. The Broadway show Tina tells the Tina Turner story from abuse survivor to superstar. And soon, 25-year-old Ankeki Obi-Malekwe will take over the role. For the first time the other day, I was like... Someone hit her. What if somebody hit me? I feel like it's just like breaks me open and I get really emotional. Next time, Here and Now. Here and Now, today at 1 o'clock on KUAF and streaming on our free KUAF app. And tomorrow on Ozarks, what organ donation can mean. And my heart was just, it was, it was operating at 6 to 8% ejection oh. fraction, which normal is 65%. And it was steadily going down over the over the time, and it was actually I was actually having medicine dripped into my heart to keep it pumping, mm -hmm. and it's like the doctor said when he did that. They said, "Now, Jeff, this is like uh, beating a dead horse. We can only do it so much, and then then it doesn't work anymore. It won't. That medicine will not, you know. And I'd had no medical issues prior to heart conditions. The story of a family, the Clarities, who received a heart. Ozarks at Large, tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF and available through the Ozarks at Large podcast, which you can download or subscribe to through any major podcast distributor. This is Ozarks at Large sitting across the broadcast desk from me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studios, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy Monday, Kyle. Happy Monday to you. What are we going to talk about today? Well, uh... It was a big day here in northwest Arkansas on November 6th, 1998. Yes, it was. And you know what I'm talking about. XNA. XNA opened the, I guess it was then regional but now national airport. Uh, it brought the president, brought transportation secretary, and uh, KTV had full crews here. And uh, it was a big enough deal that they interrupted programming yeah, we're gonna, about to hear this, and I'll have to admit to you, Randy, I was surprised that Little Rock, well, of course, the president. Yes. Okay, so let's listen. This is a special report from Channel 7 News. A very good afternoon to you. I'm Chris May. We interrupt programming briefly today to take you live to Benton County, where Air Force One has just landed at the new Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport. President Clinton making his first trip back to his home state since Tuesday's election. Mr. Clinton is here to dedicate uh, this new airport, a $109 million project that sits on about 2,100 acres uh, of rural land, about 35 miles or so northwest of Fayetteville. Uh, this is uh, an extraordinary project for Northwest Arkansas and one that has been a long time in the making. Uh, the dedication, the official dedication is today, although commercial flights began here Sunday. Uh, they include nonstop flights to both Dallas and Chicago. Construction here began back in 1995. Uh, a star-studded uh, event today. The president will be joined on the platform by several dignitaries, including his transportation secretary, who you see there on the uh, 
president's right, that is Rodney Slater. Uh, Mr. Clinton also joined by uh, Senator uh, Tim Hutchinson, uh, Senator Dale Bumpers, uh, Senator-elect Blanche Lincoln, who will be succeeding Dale Bumpers in Washington, also Congressman Asa Hutchinson there from the 3rd Congressional District. Mr. Clinton is uh, scheduled to stay in Fayetteville for a few hours today, but he will not be... All right, that's from November 1998, when it was no longer... I was about to say it was no longer Drake Field accepting flights, but Drake still had some flights for a, a little bit, I think. Yes, there there had only been one American Airlines uh, flight come in the day before the president. Yeah. So I guess Air Force One was the second plane to land there. That's... Not and, a bad. <laughs> and Drake Field was never big enough for Air Force One. No. So this was the first time he had landed up here in northwest Arkansas. All right. We're talking about the opening of then Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport, now Northwest Arkansas National Airport. What are we going to hear next? Well, uh, this was the beginning of uh, the Live at Five newscast. Um, like I say, it was it was a big enough event that uh, the co-anchor, Karen Fuller, uh, came up with several crews, and uh, this is the beginning of uh, Live at Five. President Clinton arrived home in Arkansas for the first time since Tuesday's election, and he landed at a brilliant new airport in northwest Arkansas. That is where we find our Karen Fuller at this hour. She is standing by covering the president's visit. And Karen, this was a, uh, a day that was long in the making. Good afternoon, Chris. This was the realization of an eight-year-long dream by the hundreds of people who worked to make the Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport possible. We're positioned just north of the terminal. You can still see Air Force One behind me. We have had a beautiful day for this ceremony, which was attended by about 5,000 people. William Jefferson Clinton, President of the United States of America. President Clinton gets a vote of confidence from this enthusiastic crowd. He's the highlight of the dedication ceremony. Understand today, if you can't fly, you can't compete. But if you can fly, you can soar to new heights. Today, in a sentence, at long last, Northwest Arkansas can fly. Federal Transportation Secretary and Arkansas native Rodney Slater joined Mr. Clinton on the stage. It was a grant by the federal government in 1990 that paid for a site study that eventually made this airport possible. Today, the new Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport is no longer a dream deferred, but a glory realized. Secretary Slater praised the airport planners for coming in under budget on the $109 million structure. The president said the airport is especially meaningful to him because of the time he once spent in the region. I have known for a long time that this could bring opportunity and empowerment, access to markets, a boon to tourism. All of this will happen. The president spent some time greeting old friends in the crowd immediately after the ceremony before the motorcade whisked him off just a few minutes ago to the home of Jim and Diane Blair, old friends of the Clinton who live in Beaver Lake. Coming up at 6, we'll tell you more about the ceremony and about a special... Live at 5 from November 6, 1998. In northwest Arkansas, of course, it was huge news because this had been discussed for some time. You had to have elections for the counties and cities to, to you know go in and say they were going to be part of the, the regional authority. That That's would, right. That would create it. But it wasn't the only news that day. No, it wasn't. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Central High was, again, in the news. That had, has been many, many years. But uh, the president uh, held a ceremony in Washington before he left. Prior to leaving Washington, President Clinton signed legislation that placed Central High on the nation's list of historic landmarks. The signing kicked off a celebration at the White House commemorating the 1957 Little Rock crisis. President Clinton said that the school was, quote, as sacred as Gettysburg or Independence Hall. He also paid tribute to the nine men and women who integrated the all-white school 40 years ago. Each was awarded congressional gold medals for their courage and for, as President Clinton put it, breaking through the doors of apartheid. And, and, wait, there was more on November 6th. Yes, there, there really was. There was some national news. So uh, it, it was a good place to be, uh, to have a news crew when this national news broke. 
But that happened between the 5 o'clock and the 6 o'clock news. So this will give you an idea of sort of how stories develop throughout a news day. After the ceremony, the president did what he usually does. He worked the crowd, saying hello to some old friends and meeting some new ones as well. He spent about 30 minutes before getting into the motorcade, which then took him to the home of Jim and Diane Blair in Beaver Lake. Those are some old friends of his as well from the time that he spent in Fayetteville with uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton as well. We aren't sure of his plan after that visit, but we are told that there will be an evening departure by the president. Remember, he is not staying overnight to attend the Razorback game tomorrow. As you can see Air Force One is still behind me and we'll be out here to cover his departure and have the latest coming up on Channel 7 News at 10. Chris. Karen, there is a major story on the national scene tonight. Sources close to House Speaker Newt Gingrich say uh, that he'll resign from Congress. Any idea whether President Clinton will take time in Highfield uh, to comment on those reports? We are hoping to have access to him, of course, Chris, and we're hopefully thinking that when he makes his departure, we might be able to do that. I spoke with Skip Rutherford, however, just minutes ago, who's a personal friend of President Clinton and well-known to folks in the Little Rock, Central Arkansas area. He said that the president is looking forward to some private time. He'll most likely be on the phone to people in Washington to keep abreast of the situation. But in all likelihood, the local media here will not have access to him, so we won't have any comment on that specifically. All right, Karen Fuller, live in Highfield tonight. Karen, thanks very much. What are you doing at KETV in 1998? I was the assistant news director and executive producer. So you probably remember this from the other side. Oh, yes. Day. Yes. We, uh, you know, that there were, we probably had four cameras here, but there was also uh, a, a network pool that we uh, brought our satellite truck up. There were thousands of people there. And as you'll hear, the, the crowd estimates kind of changed throughout the day. It goes from <laughs> 5,000 to maybe 10,000. You know, it, it's I, And I've never been able to estimate crowds very well. I've and been terrible at that. The news day continues. If you're the assistant news director, I'm, I'm obviously quite interested in this. If you're the assistant news director at 5 or 6, are you still working at 10? Well, and in an event like that, okay, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, usually, I was out by six thirty to seven. Okay. Um, but on a, on a day, day like, like that, I, I was there throughout. Right. So now we're going to go to the late news, right? And you know, the, the president has left. He's gone to the, to uh, the Blairs, uh, Jim Diane Blair's house, and uh, we're just waiting for him to come back. So this is what's developed. By 10 o'clock. It was three days ago here in Atlanta that Newt Gingrich and a few thousand of his supporters were celebrating Gingrich's re-election for the 11th time to Congress. Now, less than three days later, Newt Gingrich has announced he is giving up the top post in the House of Representatives. As House Speaker Newt Gingrich left his office outside Atlanta, he made no comments to reporters. The only explanation for Gingrich's decision to step down came from his press secretary. Um, but he decided that this was a matter of principle, and uh, in order for the, the party to continue to move forward, he thought it was the best thing to do. Gingrich was facing increasing criticism over the party's poor showing in Tuesday's elections. Republicans had hoped to gain as many as 30 seats in the House of Representatives. Instead, they lost six to the Democrats. A fellow Republican oh, challenged Gingrich for the party's leadership. I don't do so lightly. I don't do so cheerfully, but I do so resolutely. Explaining his decision to fellow Republican leaders, Gingrich made this statement. If I tried to stay, it would overshadow the work of the Republican majority. I am not willing to preside over a group of cannibals. Just hours after the announcement, another Republican congressman threw his hat into the ring. Well, I don't think my job is to unify the party as speaker. I think the job is to unify the Congress and, indeed, the country behind an agenda for the good of everyone. President Clinton issued a written statement from Arkansas calling Gingrich a worthy adversary. Clinton said he appreciates the time he and Gingrich were able to work together in the national interest. Gingrich has implied in his written statement, and we have it confirmed from one of his colleagues, that he is not just giving up his position as Speaker of the House, but that he will also be leaving Congress when he finishes this next term. Reporting live from Atlanta, Dean Staley, ABC News. Now back to you. And we were there in place to try to get the president, but he has not returned yet. You know, as he tends to do, he, he uh, gets waylaid yes. and delayed. He did that when he was governor. Well, and, and he never did make it 
back during the 10 o'clock news, but Karen did catch up with Mac McClarty. Karen, again, a remarkable night. Has there been any more reaction from the president uh, on Newt Gingrich? Chris, good evening. We're still awaiting President Clinton's return from the private reception at the home of his old friends Jim and Diane Blair, though we are seeing some activity pick up in the last few minutes. At the home of the Blairs, we understand he did issue that statement that you made reference to. I spoke with Mac McClarty, who was with the president when he got the news today about Mr. Gingrich. I asked him to put it all in perspective. I think it clearly suggests there's a fracture in the Republican Party. Um, and I think it clearly suggests this election uh, was an important one. And I think you can see the consequences uh, that, have, that have taken place in the Republican Party. Mr. McClarty also says that he expects Mr. Gingrich to make a formal statement about the future of his House seat, possibly as early as Monday. Meantime, politics were set aside for a while this afternoon as the region celebrated the opening of the new airport. Uh, what was it like for you going back in the archives and seeing this all, knowing that you were part of this? It's Well, this whole process has been amazing for me because, you know, the, the first part of it from the 60s and 70s, I was reliving my childhood, mm -hmm. all the politics and things that I remembered as a kid. But now we're progressing enough that I'm reliving my career, my 31-year career at KATV. So uh, I, I'm having a blast. Good, good. Yeah. You can find all of this and much more at just put Prior Center into a search engine. That's right. All right. And go to the KATV section. There you go. And let me go ahead and thank Barbara Tyson and the Tyson Foods Foundation for making all this digitization possible. Yeah, it was announced. It's been a few years now. since. Well, it's a long process. Yeah. We're talking 26,000 hours of news footage, and we've actually digitized about half of it. Now, it's not online yet, but because now you have to go through and organize all the metadata that goes So you put the it. tags on it. and Yes, so that when you do look up a description, you can click on that description and it goes straight to the video. So that's the tricky part of it. And it's very tedious. We have uh, several folks working on that now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. All right. You'll be back next Monday. We'll explore more hi Arkansas history. Yes. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. The Dia de Mertos celebration is November 6th from noon to 7 p.m. in downtown Springdale. Traditional music and dance, food vendors, crafts, and more will be offered. All events will be held outdoors and are free to the public. LatinArtArkansas.org for more information. Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale presents Seen Through Her Wardrobe, Glimpses of Annabelle Searcy. Annabelle Applegate Searcy was one of many women exercising their independence at the turn of the 20th century. Through journals, letters, photos, and more, her life is pieced together. ShilohMuseum.org or 750-8165 for information. All right, Halloween is over, and here come the rest of the end-of-year holidays, observations, and celebrations. Today, we learned holidays. The annual Christmas-themed pop-up bar will exist in two places this year— back at Walton Art Center like last year and at a Block Avenue location in downtown Fayetteville. Walton Art Center spot open to all ages. The new Block Street location in the former home of Ozark Cleaners will be for patrons 21 and older. Both will open November 19th. This is KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Springdale. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas, Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Our conversations between John Brummett with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and Roby Brock with Talk Business and Politics, part of our continuing relationship with Talk Business and Politics. Additional material today provided by our good friends, the hardworking news staff at KUAR, Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Our theme is titled First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, I'm Kyle Kellums. Please take care of yourself. Be careful. We'll talk again soon.